You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. I'm speaking today on the part three of the prodigal son story. We have the other two on our our uh, website. And what we're doing is continuing our series, The Summer of Story. We're exploring foundations of spiritual formation. And I'm calling this this morning my father's face, and I'll explain a little bit about that later. But um, one of my main spiritual emphases is on discovering what God's like. How many of you have that question? What's God really like? And um, so I'm going to share some stories about my relationship with my dad and how that um, I've gained insight from my relationship with him. Uh, I've gained insight about what my heavenly father's like. And um, my last messages have really centered on this, I call it a three-in-one parable of Jesus from Luke 15. And a little bit of background here. This is Jesus' response to religious critics who understood, misunderstood God's heart. And Jesus contrasts what he knows about his father with what they think he's like. And that's the whole purpose of Jesus telling um, this three-part parable. And so he reveals that God's heart is to, number one, leave the 99 sheep to recover one that's lost. Number two, it's to search high and low to find one lost coin to reveal its true value. And one of the um, examples I'd given over the years about that lost coin was that it had value, its value was not derived from having been found. It already had value. It already had value. And if you understand the gospel correctly, the death of Jesus doesn't, on your behalf, he became sin. He's God's method of eradicating sin from the world. But the death of Jesus on our behalf doesn't give us value. It reveals value. It shows us who we are. It shows us what, uh, to, to the degree that God values us. Then in the last part, it's the parable of the prodigal son, where Jesus demonstrates God's heart towards two confused sons in one family who don't truly understand the relationship they have with their father. And that relationship that Jesus talks about is um, a picture of how he understands God the Father and how he relates to people. And so um, in that background, just for people who may not have been here for the first two, obviously I've mentioned this, the father had two sons. The youngest son asked for his inheritance early, took the money and wasted it. He found himself broke and working for a pig farmer. Anybody here ever worked for a pig farmer? And eating the pig's food just to stay alive. And so that young son devised a plan. He knew that his father's hired servants had more than enough to eat. So he decided to go home and he was going to ask his father to hire him. And so this is what he said. 
This was his application for a job. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me say that phrase again. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so if you read uh, Luke 15, you actually see that the young son rehearses his whole um, speech for when he goes back and tries to get reinstated on a lesser level than as his father's son. But to his shock and to his amazement, as he neared his father's house, his father ran out to greet him, threw his arms around him and kissed him, and he told his servants to put the best robe on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and to go get the fatted calf and kill it because they were going to have a big party. And his reason is, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they have this huge celebration. Now, his older brother enters the story. And so I've got these verses on the overhead here out of Luke 15. And we'll take a look. I'll read these. You can read along. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother's come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat. Note there's probably a difference between a young goat and a fatty calf. That's sort of a... Anyway, he was not very happy with his dad. You never even gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots... You killed the fatted calf for him. And so the father says to him, son, everybody say that word with me. Son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And so one of the things that we're thinking about was that Jesus concluded his example here without um, us seeing the older brother fully reconciled. And I think that really speaks to what Jesus was doing because he was speaking to the religious critics who were not fully reconciled. And so he put them... um, into a place of having to decide if they believed what Jesus said or if they rejected what Jesus said. But what we really see here in this parable is that there weren't, there was not one lost son, but two. The youngest son had been lost to his passions, but the oldest son was lost in his religion. And to me, religion has both a positive and a negative um, meaning. Uh, but this son's religion was negative. It wasn't good. Both sons had the same issue, but they responded in two different ways. 
The youngest son pursued fulfillment through unrestrained pleasure, unbridled freedom, but it ended in broken relationships, frustration, and poverty, both a literal poverty and a spiritual poverty. The oldest son lived in the self-satisfaction of moral self-righteousness. Let me say that again. The oldest son lived in the self-satisfaction of moral self-righteousness, but the truth was this, both of them were lost. The youngest son believed his actions disqualified him from being part of the family. The oldest son thought his obedience and service qualified him for his place in the family. The youngest son responded to his lost relationship to his father this way. I am no longer worthy to be your son. That that phrase, no longer worthy, indicates what he felt like his value was to his father and what gave him standing in the family. So he thought his value to his father had been lost through his rebellious behavior, but obviously that was not his father's viewpoint. And there's so much you could say about the ring and the robe and the sandals and the fatted calf and the celebration. But all of that, to me, represents the reality of the gospel. The moment, and there are a lot of ways to say this, the moment a person is born again, the moment a person comes to Christ, however you say that, absolutely everything we shall ever need has been, somebody please say has been. We're all has-beens in the gospel. No, but everything we will ever need has been provided up front. We don't work for it. It's completely, totally, freely given to us. And the truth is, the more uh, the more serious or the more focused you are on the gospel and understanding the Lord, you are in a place of being becoming aware of what God has done. You are not in a place where you are earning points to gain something from him. Now, Paul, the, the apostle, called the gospel a mystery. And I'm going to tell you it is a mystery. I still can't quite figure it out. But that picture of the father receiving the rebellious son is a picture of the value, the worth, everything that we have received in Christ Jesus. I read one uh, one theologian wrote, if it didn't come through the cross, it will never come. It will never come. It's been provided, and we're in places of, of discovery. And that can be frustrating. You can be frustrated by some of what I'm saying, but that does not mean it's not true. It really is true. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. But we're in this relational situation where we're discovering what God's really like and what, how it is by faith to enter into all of his provision. So the older brother... The older brother never left home. But when he saw his younger brother immediately received back into his father's favor, he was angry. He wouldn't join the celebration. He dishonored his father by his actions. He justified his response by his obedience 
actually says in the Passion Translation, I served you like a slave many years. You feel all the resentment in his heart. I always obeyed your commands. He resented his brother's wastefulness. And even more, he resented his father's quick forgiveness. Actually, he didn't even relate to his brother as a brother anymore. When he talked to his dad about him, how many of you remember what he called him? He called him this son of yours, this son of yours. And so Jesus identified these characteristics of the elder brother as examples of someone who doesn't understand the heart of God. And what are they? Anger, resentment, lack of honor, disrespect, self-justification, and even sectarian views. I heard um, just yesterday that uh, there are 40,000 denominations in the world. 40,000. But there's really one body of Christ. So somebody's confused. (laughs) Yeah, it can make you divisive. But both sons had assumed that their relationship with their father was built on their performance. Now, to me, that's, that's striking. They both had the same problem, but each one of them reacted in entirely different ways. But they assumed that their relationship was built on their performance, on being validated by faithful servants, works of righteousness, or by being good. But neither of them understood their father's heart. Now, how did the father respond to the oldest son's condition? How did he answer him? He said, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. Let's say that together. All that I have, all that I have is yours. What if the Lord's saying that to us, sons and daughters? When we say sons here, that was the picture Jesus gave, but we're talking about sons and daughters. You're always with me. All that I have is yours. So the father appealed to the older brother based on what we called sonship or identifying as a child and not servanthood. Being a son or a daughter of God is the basis for our identity, not our performance. Somebody please hear this. Now you might think, haven't we gone over this before? Oh yeah. Robin, why are you talking about it? Well, maybe I need it too. Being a son or a daughter of God is the basis of our identity. The reality is when you are convinced about what God thinks about you, you are no longer subject to people's opinions, either their praise or their criticism. That's a good way to determine if you fully have fully entered into knowing God's heart. You're not subject, you're not moved, you're not troubled by either praise or criticism. What do you base your identity on? Well, Jesus is our example of what being in right relationship with God looks like. He began his ministry having heard audibly, as did the people around him, what God the Father had to say when he was baptized. And so we have um, Matthew 3.17. The story here is Jesus was actually baptized in water by John the Baptist. And the record tells us that They saw the Spirit of God descending on him and alighting 
upon him. And then verse 17 says, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying what? Is it up there? Let's say this together. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, what we need to realize is when God said that over Jesus, he, in essence, was saying that over us as well. And you're going to understand more of that here. But before Jesus ever turned water into wine or healed a leper, before he walked on water or preached to the multitudes, before he called an apostle, before he restored the heart of the woman called in adultery, his father publicly validated him as not just a son, but as what kind of a son? Beloved, beloved son. Now, we have got to believe, we've got to recognize our life as believers is built on the very same basis. Validation precedes performance. God's acceptance, God's approval is the foundation of our lives. It's not the result of faithful service. It's not the result of obedience or any other thing we should do, can do, or will do. We begin beloved. Look at somebody and say, you start beloved. You start beloved. You start beloved. Oh, tell yourself that too. I start beloved. We begin approved. We begin accepted. We begin validated, valued, or or even go this far. How about we begin being enjoyed by God and even celebrated? I read something recently where this man wrote, he believes God created us because he will remain in he God himself will remain intrigued about you forever. There's something about mankind that intrigues God. There's something about you that intrigues God. But our understanding of God gets distorted when the lens we look through is colored by striving or to be accepted or to be approved. And here's what happens. When we don't understand this, there was an old country song. I'm not big on country music. I like some of it. I really sort of like old Johnny Cash. I hear that train a run, coming down the drain. Whatever he was singing till I get back. I shot a man in Reno. Okay. I didn't. He did. His song. But, oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. But I got off on that little rabbit trail, but it was a very tiny one. Because I was thinking about this whole country song called Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but the title tells the story. When you don't know who you are, you go looking for it. Teenage girls get pregnant because they're looking for love in all the wrong places. Drug addiction. So many of the things we do, we're hurt, we're wounded, we don't get it, so we're out looking. 
and it doesn't work. It, it's, you become broke, frustrated, angry, and that is not God's intention. But Jesus' validation came from his father prior to any single thing he did. It was a settled issue with Jesus, and it must be with us too. So the question is, are you working and living from God's approval or for God's approval? We're beloved sons and daughters of God. Now, I want to jump into something here. I hope I can make this understandable, but I was thinking about a couple of verses I had read one of them is um one of them's in the book of hebrews and one of them is uh in the gospels but it presents the idea of uh, the book of hebrews it said in times past god spoke to us many different ways at many different times through the prophets but today he has spoken to us, and it says, in his son, but his is not there. And so what that verse is saying is, in times past, God spoke by prophets a lot of different ways, but now he speaks in son. Son is God's language and all those implications. Now, this doesn't distract about sons or daughters. Please, please hear me. But what language... Does God speak? You might think that's an odd question, but we need to understand a very foundational truth. What language does he speak? Well, a lot's been written over the years about love languages. How many of you have heard that term, love languages? What's your love language? Which means what communicates love to you the most? Affirmation, and then there are some people say five, some people say seven, some people say ten. Who knows? People are different, but... Is it affirmation? Is that your love language? Is that how you feel loves? Or is it being served, acts of service? Or is it receiving gifts? Or is it quality time? Or is it physical touch? Or in a marriage relationship, the, the sexual part? But one study showed that the love languages, the love language preferred by most people is quality time. 38% of everybody would call that uh, their preferred love language. And then it, it changes a little bit between um, men and women. In uh, women, sometimes it's up to 44%. But anyway, that's how they hear or are communicated love. That's what communicates it the most. Quality time is their language. But God's language is son. And what I mean by that, and I mean more than I can even say, but what I mean by that is God's ultimate language is, is relationship. And he demonstrates it by who Jesus is, what Jesus does. But God's clearest communication to mankind was the person of his son. If you want to know what God the Father is like, look at the Son. That's his message. That's his clearest message. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, 
You may remember this. Peter, James, and John, Jesus took them up on the mount, and a very bizarre thing happened. Moses and Elijah appear, and they're talking to Jesus. Well, that's uh, how many of you would say that's quite unusual? It would be quite unusual. Um, there are actually Bible verses that says that's not supposed to happen. That's how unusual it is. <laughs> I'm sorry, I made myself laugh. And the reason I'm laughing is nobody understands everything. You got that? So you don't really. I don't. I know you don't because I know more than you do. No. So (laughs) Peter sees Moses and Elijah and Jesus on this mountain, and he gets excited, probably sort of tongue-tied, and he says, hey, let's build a Moses church, and let's build an Elijah church, and let's build a Jesus church up here. This is awesome. And while Peter is saying that, which is a little bit typical of Peter, this bright cloud overshadows them, and a voice comes out of the cloud, and it says this, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And to me, that hear him means a whole lot more than just hear what he is saying. It's hear who he is what he represents, hear him, not only the words, but it's about him. It's not about the law. It's not about obedience to rules and regulations, and it's not about the prophets. And there's a lot of crazy prophetic stuff going on today that's trying to pull people into something besides relating to Jesus. How many of you know that's right? But those are the very same words that the father spoke to Jesus before his ministry began. And so I mentioned that Hebrews 1, 1 verse, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in this last day spoken to us. How? By his son or by son. By the message of us being sons and daughters of God in relationship with our father, just like the son was. Moses gave the law. The Ten Commandments were not God's ultimate language to us, nor was it the great prophets of the Bible. It's Jesus. God's ultimate language is family. Somebody listen. God's ultimate language is family. And his preeminent communication to us with Jesus, the Son, we really are part of God's great family. I want to talk um, a little bit about my dad, and this is uh, this is probably the place where I cry. I don't know. It'd be two weeks in a row of McMillan crying from up here, but um, I do want to tell you about my dad because it's some things um, really began to speak to me about the Lord. But when I was a kid, I would wake up in the night. I, I had a brother, but we had two separate bedrooms. I'd wake up in the night, and I'd say, Dad, will you get me a glass of water? And he would get out of bed and he would come into my room and he'd say, what do you want? And I said, I want, I want some water. And so he would, he would go down the hall. I could see him. I could picture this in the, the house I grew up in. He'd come back and get me a glass, a glass of water. And by the time he got back with the water, I was already asleep. So he'd obviously going back to bed. But I'd wake up in the morning, I'd see this water sitting on the desk by my bed, never touched. Well, the truth 
is I wasn't thirsty. I didn't really want the water. I wanted my dad. When I'd wake up in the night alone or scared by myself, I didn't want the water. I wanted my dad. That was really my heart cry. When I went to college, it was during the 60s and 70s. Um, these national upheavals that we are experiencing today, we've experienced some in the past, but that was the, during the Vietnam War. And when it came to politics, my dad and I didn't always agree. I had hair down to my shoulders, and he had a flat top. How many of you know what a flat top is? Yeah, you could land a, a helicopter on my dad's head. It was... So I had hair down to my shoulders, and he had a flat top. Well, by the time I graduated from college, I was a devout Jesus follower and opinionated. How many of you can identify with that? Everybody else needed to understand my revelation of God, but um, they weren't that interested. And that caused some friction in our relationship, too. I was thinking about this. The weekend I graduated from college, a friend of my dad's asked him, he said, what are you going to do this weekend, Mac? And his response will tell you a lot about my dad. He said, I'm going to go see Moses graduate from college. (laughs) I'm going to go see Moses (laughs) graduate from college, he said. That was my dad. Well, I um, I played baseball. Sometimes I played two seasons a year from the time I was nine years old till I was in college. I think baseball was probably my first love. Well, Dad had been a, a college coach and a high school coach. He was head football coach at the University of South Carolina during the Second World War. He was a scholarship tailback. He played at USC. And then he coached at the Citadel and um, another college called Erskine College. And at different times, he coached all three of the major sports. But the interesting dynamic between my mom and my dad was my dad never pressured me to play, ever. Now, my mom was sort of expecting um, a three-sport star and straight A's. So she spent a significant time of... uh, my junior high and high school life being disappointed, <laughs> but uh, he gave me a love for the game, but he never pressured me. And see, there's something, there's something about the um, our identities when we feel either neglected or forced into a certain behavior, we can actually lose a love for things God's put in our hearts. See, that's what legalism will do. I've talked to people who've been called into ministry and they were in legalistic um, situations where every I had to be dotted, every T crossed, um, commitment, all that was emphasized and emphasized and emphasized. And at the end of it, I know people that hated what they were doing, but when they came into a, a relationship in a church where 
there was this grace idea that love sprang alive again, again in their hearts. So I played baseball because my, my dad, you know, he never forced me in. But I did have some conflict with my mom over her, some of her expectations. But um, I played Little League for four years. And when I was 12 years old, I hit three home runs in one game over the fence. Now, that was something odd about that. Those are the only three I ever hit. It all happened in one game, which makes no sense. But before that game, like I'm saying, I never hit one. And my dad missed the first one I hit. And to me, it was probably the only one I was ever going to hit. And he missed it, which I didn't like. But then he showed up and um, he was there for the second one and the third one. And here's the thing about my, my father's face. He was standing over by the first baseline by the fence, and I can remember the look on his face after I hit that second one, and then I hit the third one. I can see him to this day standing there, his face lit up with this smile and this look of joy and excitement and approval and satisfaction. I was his beloved son in whom he was well-pleased. See, that's the face of my father I remember. But here's the thing. That look on his face is like the look on our father's face before we hit a home run. That's the look on his face whenever he thinks about us and he thinks about us all the time. That's the look on his face when you hit three home runs or you make an error that costs your team the game or you get cut from the team. That's what I remember about my father's face. Um, let me see. Christopher turned 40 in September, and my dad passed away. I think it was what two, just um, two months after Christopher was born. And I've often wondered um, about that. But the thing that happened over time was, Not having that father put me in a position to finding um, what I needed in my heavenly father. You see, everything that happens to us, there's a way to see it or to look at it that's really positive, that's meaningful. You know, it just depends on what you do with it. Of course, we were heartbroken when my dad passed away. He was 62. and um, But I had to connect with my heavenly father in a way I don't think I would have. Now, that's not to say it's probably better for us if we have good relationships with our dad and they stay a good while. But that's what I remember about my father's face. What do you what do you see in your father's face? How does he look at you? I've been a Christian since nineteen like nineteen sixty eight. And in all my time and I've I've been involved in um way more than just Sunday Christian stuff. 
And in all that time, I can never remember God speaking to me in a harsh tone. Not once. If your God talks to you in a harsh tone, that's not God. That's someone else posing as God. Because that's not who he is. That's not who he is. It's really not who he is. I remember um, years ago, a woman in church, uh, she said she was given a prophecy. But at the end of the prophecy, and she was speaking in the name of the Lord, she said, you make me sick. That's what she said the Lord was saying to us. And I thought, that's not my dad. And I'll tell you why. Even if I make him sick, he doesn't have to stoop to that level and form of communication. He doesn't. Because he's patient. He's kind. He's generous. He's all those things. And I mean, we're going to mess up a lot. But he doesn't talk to us that way. That's not God. If that's how you hear the Lord re-evaluate that inner thing going on, that is not the way the Lord talks to his kids. I'm not saying it's not the way I've talked to my kids sometimes, but I'm going to tell you it's not the way he talks. And the prodigal son, it was not the money that concerned the father. It was the broken relationship. The problem with the elder brother was he was in a much more deceived situation. And I think a lot of people that grow up in church can actually be be more like that older brother than people that really connect to grace and forgiveness. Um, one, one thing about, well, Jesus actually said it this way. I can't remember the whole thing, but his conclusion was who loved God the most, the person who had been forgiven a lot or the person who had been forgiven a little. But the truth is people who think they've been forgiven a little don't understand the the gap that needed to be bridged by the works of Jesus, by the cross. But if you're angry and self-righteous and disrespectful and disconnected, you need to take another thought about who your heavenly father is and what he's like. It's been said that Jesus didn't come and die to get God to love us. Because God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And you can't be shamed into a relationship with God. You can't be condemned. You can't be forced into a relationship. We need to know him as a father. Knowing the love of God and believing he accepts you needs to be a settled issue. I know this is, this is pretty basic, simple stuff. But I think it's something... And I know, I know this personally. I, my testimony is I was a Christian and, and, and actually preaching before I had the kind of encounter where I was fairly well convinced that God loved me. Can you imagine that? Preaching, you know, leading people and, and you for, you don't know yourself. 
And I think there are depths, there are depths of it. I know a lot of times, um, in, uh, human relationships, you go through something and you have to work at forgiving. How many of you are aware that that can happen? Yeah. And, um, you think you have, and then down the road, something pops up in your heart and you're still hostile. Anybody ever been through that? Well, the devil will tell you, you never forgave. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't ever give up that ground. But I think there can be depths of forgiving and being forgiven and loving and being loved. And I think that's just the way it is. I think you can have a profound relationship, a profound encounter with the Lord and down the road need another one. Um, Jesus told his disciples, I need to wash your feet. And, and one of the ideas behind that wasn't just that Jesus was demonstrating what it was to be a servant. He was also demonstrating if you're going to function as a believer in this life, there is, there are things that are going to get on you as you walk through and you need continual times of cleansing and repentance and washing yourself. Now, I, I could, I feel like, uh, sort of calling for response, but I, I just want all of us to know God's love beyond what we know wherever we are right now. I want our identities to be based on who he is and what he thinks of us because that's when healthy Christianity emerges. How many of you have ever seen mean Christianity? You ever seen that stuff? It's pretty nasty, isn't it? All that ripping and snarling and criticizing and hostility. That's not the way God intended for us to be. And I really do believe the foundational... Answer is to know God's heart, to know his heart. What does he think about you? I can just look out. I'm looking at Brett and Annie this morning. What's what's God thinking about them this morning? I see Hannah back there nodding her head. She's hoping God will be thinking about Brett and Annie. No, but what, what, when you look into his face, what am I talking about? Look into his face. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a mystery. But every, everyone has some image of who God is. What's yours? How, how does he feel about you? What's he thinking?
So let me do this. I'm going to pray and then Stuart can come close the meeting. But why don't, why don't you stand up with me and let me, let me pray. Did they put that picture of my dad up on screen? They didn't put that up there. That's my dad. Look at that guy. Isn't he handsome? I don't know. I didn't get his looks because he kept his to the end. That's good looks. And that's a joke. See, my dad's smiling at you. Let's assume God is pouring himself out through that picture. God says, I really love you. I really, he's, he's saying, I love you, period, period. Not comma, not semicolon. I love you, period. Boom. I love you. I love you. I want what's best for you. Truth is, he was looking out for us before Adam ever fell in the garden. Paul's great revelation is God had provided for us before we needed a provision. Christ was crucified from the foundation of the world. The reality of the gospel is that before we ever needed help, we had all the help we'd ever need. That was Paul's great mystery of the gospel, that you have been blessed, you have been healed, you have been saved, you have been justified, you have even been glorified. All of these things, if you read the New Testament, they're ours. We get them. We receive them. We don't achieve them. We receive them. We don't gain them through effort or not being nasty or whatever goes on with you, but so let me, yeah, I'm, let me pray. I'm trying to help myself here. Well, Father, we pray today that your heart would be openly revealed to us and your smile would so convince us of your care for us, your love for us, that we have purpose and destiny, that we could actually discover that purpose, the other side of our identity, doing the things we were created for at a high level. So, Father, I'm asking that you would so, who wants this? Say, I want this. Who wants this? Say, Lord, me. Me, Lord. Open my heart. Show me your face. Show me your face. Let me see what you think about me. So, Father, I ask that for all of us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.